The power of Trump's endorsement put to the test. The lead starts right now. Polls open in five states and the stakes could not be higher for the former president. His kingmaker status and the GOP facing its biggest challenge of the election season as his candidate goes head to head with the current governor of Georgia, who was supported by Mike Pence. Plus, breaking news, a deadly elementary school shooting in Texas, at least two dead. More than a dozen children now being treated for injuries. We'll bring you all the latest as we get it. And breaking news, the FBI now investigating an alleged plot to assassinate former President George W. Bush. According to court documents, a suspect was even planning on driving to Bush's home in Dallas. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We start with our politics lead, and it is Election Day in America. Voters now heading to the polls in five states, Georgia, Alabama, Texas, Arkansas, and Minnesota. A number of the contests today will test Donald Trump's grip on the Republican Party, and there is no race that matters more to the former president than Georgia's gubernatorial primary. It's a race that pits his choice, former Senator David Perdue, against the incumbent governor, Brian Kemp, And make no mistake, Trump went all in on Purdue. He begged him to run. His organization poured $2.5 million into Purdue's super PAC. He called into Purdue's tele-rally just last night. He wants to take Brian Kemp, the incumbent governor, down because Kemp refused to overturn the 2020 election. But as we have seen, oftentimes it is hard to beat an incumbent, especially one who is independently popular with his base, especially one that has former Vice President Mike Pence and much of the Republican party establishment lining up behind him. We have a lot to get to today. Jeff Zeleny and Amara Walker are both standing by live in Atlanta for us. And let's start with Jeff Zeleny at camp headquarters. Jeff, what is the latest there tonight in this closely watched race for governor? Well, Jake, the Kemp campaign has been spending the day trying to urge supporters across the state of Georgia to come to the polls on Election Day. That sounds obvious, but this is why they're making a final push, even at this hour into the final three hours of voting, because there has been so much talk about how Governor Kemp has a wide lead in this race. But it is not simply winning. That is not enough. They are trying to win big. That is more than 50 percent of the vote to avoid a June runoff election. So I'm told the governor spent some time on the phone today talking to supporters uh, and certainly his volunteers did as well, urging them not to take anything for granted. One name that really has not been mentioned from the Kemp campaign, at least, is Donald Trump. They have ignored him for weeks and weeks, just trying to focus on the Kemp record as governor, trying to talk about what he has done as an incumbent. And you're right, we've seen so many um, endorsements week by week here in the month of May of the former president. But this is different entirely because it is an incumbent Republican governor. So we've seen a wave of establishment Republicans, uh, governors from across the country, former governors, and of course last night, the former vice president of the United States, Mike uh, Pence making the case for Brian Kemp here. And Kemp, for his part, has been talking about how he is the strongest candidate to take on Stacey Abrams. She's a Democrat, of course. She's running unopposed tonight. And that is their focus. Sort of left behind in all of this is David Perdue, the former senator who lost in 2020. He has been trying to uh, win this Republican governor's race. But Jake, he's been uh, struggling here at the finish. He's not been advertising on television for the last couple weeks or so. One thing hanging over all this, a cloud has been the election controversy of 2020. That, of course, is why the former president did not like Brian Kemp in the first place, simply because he certified the election returns. So tonight at the College Football Hall of Fame right here in downtown Atlanta, Governor Kemp hopes for a victory and a big one over David Perdue. 
Jake. All right, Jeff Zeleny in Atlanta. Thanks so much. Uh, Amara Walker is also in Atlanta tonight. She's at the location state officials use as their war room. And Amara, you've been covering the race for Georgia's Secretary of State. Of course, the current Secretary of State is Brad Raffensperger. He's a Republican. He drew the wrath of then-President Trump in that infamous phone call when he refused Trump's request that he, quote, find enough votes to illegally undo Biden's legal and legitimate victory in Georgia. Raffensperger, <coughs> pardon me, is facing off tonight against a Trump ally who pushes Trump's election lies. Where, where do things stand right now in that race? Well, on the election front, Jake, we just heard from the Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, and he's saying uh, things are moving very smoothly and they are expecting a record-breaking voter turnout in, in a Georgia primary. Look, I sat down with him yesterday and he told me that he's feeling quite confident, even though this is a very competitive race and that polls have shown that you know, he and U.S. Representative uh, Jody Heiss are neck and neck. Uh, but look, you know, he's obviously wearing two hats right now, making sure that things are moving smoothly as a Secretary of State in touch with the polling places and also making sure that things are in compliance with this new voting law. But also he is a candidate in this GOP primary. Uh, He's facing fierce competition from Trump backed U.S. Representative Jody Heiss. And what's really been interesting and notable is that his race has not really been mirroring that of Kemp's, who, as Jeff noted, has had a comfortable and sizable lead from his top competitor, uh, David Perdue. And I asked Secretary Raffensperger about that, and he said there's really one main reason for that, and that's because he is Georgia's election chief, meaning his name and his reputation are linked for many conservatives to the 2020 presidential election and his refusal to overturn it or to find more votes, as was demanded by former President Trump during that infamous uh, January 2021 phone call. Uh, He differentiated himself from Governor Kemp, saying that, you know, Governor Kemp has broader responsibilities, right, as the governor, and he is not solely defined by elections. Listen. So he has just a broader expanse of authorities. And, you know, our office has a lot of other things other than just elections. But people have focused in on the Election Integrity Act and also the elections of 2020. And the reason they have is that there is so much misinformation, disinformation. But at the end of the day, what really happened in 2020 is that 28,000 Georgians skipped the presidential race and yet voted down ballot. And throughout his campaign, Raffensperger has not shied away from criticizing Trump, blaming him for his loss here in Georgia in 2020. And that really highlights this delicate balance for Raffensperger courting Trump voters while touting his record as a man of integrity. Of course, we'll wait and see if, if that prevails, Jake. All right, Emma Walker in Atlanta for us as well. Thank you so much. Our CNN political director, David Chalian, joins us now with our politics lead. Uh, David, let's start with Georgia. Uh, what happens there will be crucial and very Telling for the Republican Party, Trump has inserted himself into the Secretary of State race big time, as he also did in the Georgia governor's race. He invested $2.5 million million for Senator Perdue to defeat the incumbent governor. What are you watching for specifically in Georgia on the Republican side? Yeah, you are right to note there is... No bigger political target that Donald Trump has identified uh, in his post-presidency than Brian Kemp. And so if indeed Donald Trump comes up short in that race, if David Perdue loses and Donald Trump went all in for Perdue, as you noted, Jake, brought him into the race. If he comes up short, my big question that I'm watching for is what does Donald Trump do, if anything, to try and unite the Republican Party after uh, this primary? Because last night when he called in as a tell in a tele rally for Purdue, he indicated he doesn't 
think uh, Kemp can win in the fall. We know in the past he's even suggested that perhaps Stacey Abrams might be a better option. So uh, it'll be very interesting to see if indeed Trump's candidate comes up short and and Trump has some egg on his face here, how he uh, deals with that. The gubernatorial race in Georgia, uh, which Jeff Zeleny just updated us on, is also something we're watching closely, as you just talked about. But it's not just about the internals of the Republican Party. This race has already moved into the general election to some extent. Uh, Governor Kemp is just acting as if uh, Purdue has been defeated, and he's just talking about Stacey Abrams, who will be the Democratic nominee. She's running unopposed. Uh, How important is Georgia in this race between, uh, we anticipate, Kemp and Abrams to, to both parties? Yeah, this race, the governor's race, and there's going to be a very critical Senate race uh, in Georgia. And it's primary night, so we tend to focus, you know, inside each party. Uh, But Georgia is a major battleground state in American politics now, and it's going to be the center of the political universe come this fall. Control of the United States Senate may hinge on who wins, the incumbent Raphael uh, Warnock or Herschel Walker, the the football star in that race. And as you noted, if indeed this is a Kemp-Abrams rematch from 2018, remember, that was a very close race. Uh, This year, it's a very different political environment, one that should be advantageous uh, for Republicans, but it's going to be hard fought. And this is the place, not just for 2022, Jake, but for 2024 in the next presidential contest, all of these uh, outcomes are going to matter a great deal. Georgia uh, isn't the only big primary state tonight. I know you're also watching uh, Alabama and Arkansas. Tell us why. Well, I'm fascinated to see inside these deep red states like Alabama and Arkansas, uh, if indeed the incumbents, the incumbent governor in Alabama, Kay Ivey, and the incumbent senator uh, in Arkansas, John Bozeman, are they able to avoid a runoff? Do they get to 50 percent plus one or does their contest get extended? And does that give us a sense inside the Republican electorate of a restive nature, uh, throw the bums out? Is this a you know, an electorate that just wants to throw their hands up at politics in general. Uh, I'm very curious to see how those incumbents perform in their primaries tonight. All right, David Chalian, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Coming up next on The Lead, breaking news, a deadly elementary school shooting in Texas. We're told two people are dead, 13 children now being treated for injuries. We'll have a live report next. Plus, the deadly back and forth in Ukraine as Russian forces retake territory they had lost just days earlier. Stay with us. We have some breaking news out of Texas for you now. Police on the scene of a deadly shooting at an elementary school in Texas in a town that's about 80 miles west of San Antonio. According to authorities, at least two people are dead, at least 16 others injured, 14 of them children. Ed Lavendera is live for us in Dallas. Ed, what more are you learning? Well, this scene is still unfolding there at Robb Elementary in Uvalde, Texas, as you mentioned, it's just west of San Antonio. This is a, uh, a small town, rural, rural area on the way to the border there. You can see some of the chaotic uh, moments there as uh, law enforcement was responding to the scene. Uh, but what we understand, Jake, at this point is that uh, the victims have mainly been taken to two different hospitals, one in Uvalde that has taken the majority of the victims. And we are told uh, there at that hospital in Uvalde that there there are uh, 13 children and an adult uh, being treated and that there were two people who have arrived that were dead. Uh, we do not know the ages of those who have been killed and that there are two others that were taken to a hospital in San Antonio, and that includes a child, we don't know the condition of that child, and a 66-year-old woman that we are told is in critical condition. 
all of this starting around noon today at Robb Elementary there in Uvalde, Texas. Uh, we are told that the gunman entered the, the school, that that uh, gunman is now in custody. We are hoping to hear from school district officials here at some point uh, within the hour uh, for the latest updates on what has unfolded in this harrowing scene here at, at this school. But right now we're trying to process and uh, gather as much information as we can, Jake, on the, the number of people killed and their conditions as law enforcement and first responders continue to work that scene and try to save as many lives as possible right now. Jake. All right, Ed Lavendera, thank you so much. Uh, Juliet Kayam joins us now. Uh, and Juliet, at least two dead, 16 injured, um, and uh, it was an active shooter situation. Not sure if that is still going on. Obviously, uh, it's early in the process of this. Um, what is going on right now by law enforcement? Uh, family unification, first of all. I, it's been a couple hours uh, uh, since the shooting began, so they have to get parents with very young children. Uh, this is an elementary school and get them together. They have to get an understanding of who is in the hospital uh, and notify the families that way. So that the delay in law enforcement is, is directly linked uh, to family unification and family notification. Uh, since we've been reporting that the suspect is in custody. Uh, the other thing is of course now uh figuring out who he is and whether what the motivation is, uh, why this particular school. I will say, even after Sandy Hook, uh, if you just look at school security generally, the highest level of security is always at high schools because you, you sometimes do have an internal threat. You have kids uh, bringing weapons and things. And so... Uh, Elementary schools tend to be pretty weak in terms of security. It's hard to fortify them. Sometimes they'll have locks, especially after the school day begins. Uh, so uh, it's hard to get into them. And a lot of them do not have a security presence. And school districts, basically with limited resources, have to prioritize what schools, and they tend to prioritize um, high schools over elementary schools, even uh, after uh, we've seen elementary school attacks. So that's what they're looking at in terms of the vulnerabilities. But of course, why this school? Why at this time did this uh, uh, did the killer have? Uh, contact uh, or know people or know any of the kids in the school. So those are the two things going on right now. Um, and I expect once they're done with the horrifying family notification, uh, we don't know who is dead, but we know there's there's over a dozen in the hospital. Uh, they will come out and begin to give us numbers. All right, Juliet Cunningham, thank you so much. We'll continue to follow the story and bring you updates yeah. uh, as we get them. The latest information at this elementary school, Rob Elementary in Uvalde, Texas, uh, two have been killed in a mass shooting. The shooter is in suspect, is in custody, rather. Uh, the suspected shooter is in custody. Uh, more than a dozen uh, have been transported to the hospital. We'll bring you more information as soon as we get it. Now turning to our world lead, it has been 90 days since Russia first invaded Ukraine. 90. And the cost of the war is now being felt beyond the two countries. Today, the European Commission criticized Russia for, quote, weaponizing food supplies. This comes as the Russian army has been confiscating grain and blocking exports from ports in the Black Sea. Inside Ukraine, heavy shelling continues. CNN's Nick Payton Walsh traveled around villages to Kharkiv's north, where he says Ukrainians are not just defending their city, but looking to regain ground close to the Russian border. The forests around Kharkiv know no peace. We're just 15 minutes northeast from the city centre and the Russians are on the other side of the hill. Here, it is a fight on foot, 
waged with vast, cumbersome guns. You can see here when Kharkiv is being shelled every night, the sheer volume of shells that entails here. This must have been beautiful here three months ago, now pillaged. Artillery in the place of birdsong. It's just saying, you can see how they live like pigs and died like pigs. It's the kind of hatred we're seeing a lot of. Back and forth of high explosive rattles in the pines. Like so much of the war, the battle for Kharkiv isn't over, it's just slightly out of sight, yet no less vicious or intense. In these kind of forests, it's extremely hard for them to know exactly what these noises are, whether it's them firing at the Russians 100 metres away, all the Russians firing back. Dusk brings escalation again. At all points north of Kharkiv that we saw over three days travelling, the same picture of Russian persistence. Even here, as we get closer to their border, the rumble is constant. The fight for Kharkiv now also one about protecting Russia. Yesterday and the day before yesterday, uh, we, we were attacked by uh, tanks, hard artillery, um, and uh, helicopters. We hit one helicopter and uh, they afraid of uh, us. You smile when you say they're afraid. Yes. But there's no room for grinning further northeast, where Ukraine is losing ground it won just days earlier. Russia has moved into the next town up, Rubizhne, in the hours before we arrive. The ruins fresh, still smouldering. And here, that means the constant bewildering shelling has new ominous significance. We don't know who's shelling, she says. Maybe here and there and that. It's terrifying. Not much has been spared here. Moscow hungry to cross the water and eager to punish. Uh, the bridge is blown, but it's across the river there that Russian forces amassed, shelling here constantly, and now sensing the possibility of taking part of the neighbouring town, Rubizhne. The prospect of a long, exhausting battle of attrition and loathing, haunting Ukraine's second city, even out here, where calm should flow free. Now, Jake, it's important to remember that that uh, area you were just seeing in that report is a place where nearby Ukrainian troops had pitched themselves near the border, planting a, a masked kind of flag. But it seemed to have been retaken by the Russians, pushing the Ukrainians back away uh, to the north of Kharkiv in an area where they'd hoped to make some strategic gains. Also, in the east of the country, uh, closer to where I'm standing here, we've seen Russia also make gains today. Ukraine saying it had to pull out of one town, Sv- 
Svitlodarsk and Russians appearing to be making some progress in that Donbass area around Svirodonetsk uh, and also towards another key town there as Slavyansk. Important to remember that as possibly Western focus on this war begins to slow, it is no way reflected in the violence on the ground and the persistent back and forth. What I have to say in the last few days, we are seeing Moscow making some small gains, Jake. All right, Nick Payton Walsh, live for us in Ukraine. Thank you so much. Joining us now is Arseniy Yatsenyuk. He was prime minister of Ukraine from 2014 to 2016. During that time, Russia invaded and annexed Crimea. Uh, thank you so much for joining us again, sir. Uh, the former U.S. Secretary of State Henry Kissinger suggested today that Ukraine should concede territory in its negotiations with Russia. Kissinger said, quote, Negotiations on peace need to begin in the next two months or so before it creates upheavals and tensions that will be even harder to overcome. Ideally, the dividing line should return to the status quo ante. I believe pursuing the war beyond that point would not be about the freedom of Ukraine, but a new war against Russia itself, unquote. So going back to the quote, status quo ante, that means restore Russian control in Crimea and and Russia's informal control of Luhansk and Donetsk. Is that something you think... Ukraine should consider. I totally disagree. This sounds similar to this kind of appeasement policy that actually paved the way for Russia to invade Ukraine, to invade Georgia, to illegally annex Crimea, and actually to pose the threat to the entire world, including the United States. So the only option we have on the table is to win on the battlefield. And only afterwards we can really start real talks and negotiations. Otherwise, this will be a surrender, which Ukraine will never accept, period. It's been 90 days since Russia invaded Ukraine, and some, including U.S. intelligence, thought that your country's capital, Kiev, would fall to Russia within days. Months later, Kiev is still standing. Uh, Ukrainian forces are regaining land. Uh, Are you surprised by that at all? Well, absolutely. Uh, I am not surprised because I know how Ukrainian people are courageous how Ukrainian military is durable. And I really commend the efforts of the United States Biden administration and your bipartisan support that actually decided to ship defensive and lethal weapon to Ukraine. This actually helped Ukrainian military to launch a counteroffensive that you just reported. Uh, that's true that a number of uh, Western intelligence uh, agencies believed uh, that uh, Putin is to take over Kyiv in 72 hours. And even Putin, he strongly believed that he can easily launch a lightning operation and to capture an entire Ukraine. He failed. Now he resorted to plan B. Uh, He's more concentrated in the areas in the east and in the south of Ukraine. And he had some very small incremental gains. But I I want to indicate once again and to reiterate that due to your support and due to a very courageous Ukrainian men and women in the uniform, Ukraine launched a number of counter-offensive operations. Uh, so we already entered the fourth months of this war of attrition. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ukraine still has a very high chance to win this war. If concerted actions of Ukraine and the Western world will be successful, they have to be successful. So for the first time, Ukraine has released uh, footage from your military using foreign-made kamikaze drones. You can see in this video here, we're showing our viewers the drone launching a powerful explosive that appears to have damaged a Russian tank. Uh, How much are these kamikaze drones giving Ukraine an advantage, allowing Ukraine to, to win this war? 
Well, actually, uh, the shipment of all these weapons uh, that has been made by the U.S. administration made Ukrainian military stronger and more advanced one. Uh, it relates to everything, starting with the Hovitzritz M777 and uh, these drones. So uh, Ukrainian military is really getting better than Russians. We are outnumbered on the one hand, but on the other hand, we have very good weapon delivered by the US and our allies, and we have very strong soldiers and strong army. Former Prime Minister, so Ars Former Prime Minister Arseniy Yatsenyuk, thank you so much for your time today, sir. Appreciate it. Coming up next, breaking news. We're learning new details tonight about a plot to assassinate former President George W. Bush, a suspect who apparently scoped out Bush's home in Texas, is now in custody. Details next. In our world lead right now, President Biden is on his way back from his first trip to Asia since he took office after turning heads on China's doorstep when he made the off-script declaration that the U.S. would respond militarily if China attacked Taiwan. CNN's Jeremy Diamond is in Tokyo, where he asked the president to clarify his break with longstanding U.S. diplomatic policy. On his final day in Asia, President Biden attempting to inject some fresh ambiguity into U.S. policy toward a potential Chinese invasion of Taiwan. Mr. President, is the policy of strategic ambiguity towards Taiwan dead? No. Could you explain? No. But a day earlier, Biden cast aside that smokescreen and decades of U.S. policy by threatening China with a U.S. military response. Mr. President, you it was the third time in his presidency Biden has raised the specter of a military response to a Chinese invasion, even as he had once criticized another president for similar words. I will do what it takes to help Taiwan defend herself, and the Chinese must understand that. Then-Senator Biden arguing Bush's, quote, inattention to detail has damaged U.S. credibility with our allies and sown confusion throughout the Pacific Rim. Words matter. Today, those allies seem more wary of an increasingly aggressive China and the lessons it may draw from Russia's invasion of Ukraine. This is more than just a European issue. It's a global issue. Russia's assault on Ukraine only heightens the importance of those goals. The fundamental principles of international order, territorial integrity and sovereignty, international law, human rights, must always be defended, regardless of where they're violated in the world. Biden's message aimed at the Indian prime minister, who has maintained close ties with Moscow and refused to condemn its invasion of Ukraine. But given a chance to press the prime minister directly... Mr. President, will you please prime minister Modi to take a tougher stance on Russia? Biden declined. And Jake, President Biden is now on his way home after several days spent here in Tokyo, as well as several days uh, in Seoul, South Korea. The president, though, did not get that North Korean nuclear uh, missile test or an ICBM test that U.S. intelligence officials had been warning was a serious possibility. They said that it could happen while the president was in the region. But now it appears the president will land back in Washington without that test having occurred. Jake. 
Jeremy Diamond in Tokyo, uh, thank you so much. We're still walk, watching that school shooting in, in Texas, and we have news for you on that in a minute. Uh, it's getting confirmed right now, but f- right now, let's turn to CNN Global Affairs Analyst and Staff Writer at The New Yorker, Susan Glasser. And Susan, we just heard President Biden in that piece tell Jeremy that the U.S. diplomatic policy of strategic ambiguity is not dead. Uh, what do you think uh, of the, the president's comments? Uh, did it confuse matters? Well, I have to tell you, yesterday, Jake, if we had this conversation, I would tell you that it's pretty hard to make yes sound ambiguous. But uh, the White House and President Biden have spent, you know, the last 24 hours working their best to to do so. So I guess we're back uh, to ambiguous, if only in the sense that what does his yes actually mean? Uh, And, you know, it's very clear that Biden... Uh, believes that there is a U.S. commitment of uh, significance to defend Taiwan because he's used that word commitment multiple times over the course of his presidency. Uh, It has not been filled in. I think the urgency has increased as a result of Russia's war in Ukraine and a sense that uh, China is looking very closely at that as it considers its options in Taiwan. And uh, as Jeremy noted in his piece in 2001, then-Senator Biden wrote an opinion article in the Washington Post criticizing President George W. Bush for, frankly, a a similar slip uh, in which he defended Taiwan and talked about the United States defending Taiwan. Biden wrote at the time, quote, as a matter of diplomacy, there's a huge difference between reserving the right to use force and obligating ourselves a priori to come to the defense of Taiwan um, but don't you think Biden effectively did the same thing which, that he scolded Bush for doing 20 years ago? Uh, well, not only does it appear he did something very similar, Jake, but the big difference is that China's capabilities, its military intent, its leadership under Xi Jinping have all been transformed in a way that makes actually Taiwan's security picture much, much more uh, uncertain. And therefore, the U.S. military commitment, whatever it is to Taiwan, much more of a pressing issue than it was at the time. I mean, you know, really, China has invested billions of dollars in upgrading and modernizing its military since that point. Xi Jinping uh, has made it very clear that he his ambition is to uh, reabsorb Taiwan into mainland China in a way that it, it's almost an urgent in the next few years over the horizon type threat at this moment. While President Biden was meeting with world leaders, um, the defense minister of Japan blasted China and Russia for flying bombers near Japan during the summit, saying, quote, while the international community is responding to Russia's aggression against Ukraine, it is unacceptable that China takes such action in concert with Russia. It is a clear indication that the security environment surrounding our country is becoming increasingly severe. That statement comes after Russia's foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov, said Russia's ties with ties with China are growing. What does this strengthening partnership between China and Russia mean for the U.S.? You know, I think the bottom line is it is absolutely a kind of a a two front, you know, U.S. versus autocracy situation. Uh, Remember, there was the Beijing meeting between Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping on the eve of Putin's invasion of Ukraine. And they released a 5,000 word manifesto that promised essentially an unlimited partnership between the two countries, far different than the nature of the relations uh, that have existed in recent decades between Beijing and Moscow. And I think this linkage that the Japanese are making is, is absolutely correct. It's impossible at this point in time when you look at the international situation to sort of say, well, we're just going to focus on Russia right now. We're just going to focus on China. Those challenges for the United States are interlinked uh, and almost part of the same problem in a way that they had not been for, for many decades. 
Susan Glasser, thanks so much. Coming up next, breaking news, horrific details just coming in. We were told 15 people are dead in that elementary school shooting in Texas. That includes 14 students killed at the elementary school in Texas. We're going to have a live report next. Stay with us. We have breaking and, frankly, horrible news on that mass shooting at an elementary school in Texas. We are now learning that 15 people were killed by the shooter. The shooter is also dead tonight. That's according to the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott. 14 dead kids, Governor Abbott said. I want to go straight to Ed Lavendera, uh, who's in Texas for us. Um, Ed, uh, tell us more. What are you learning about this horrific incident? Well, all of this continues to unfold here this afternoon, Jake, as we sit here and try to process this uh, uh, gruesome news. 14 dead children at this elementary school, Rob Elementary, there in the small town of Uvalde, Texas, which is uh, about 90 miles or so west of San Antonio. Uh, One adult also killed, so 15 uh, total. We had been told here in the last few hours that many of these victims were rushed to uh, an area hospital there in Uvalde. Some others had been transported to a hospital in San Antonio as well. But the details exactly of how all of this unfolded are still not exactly and entirely clear. But we do know that it was around noon uh, time here, central time, one o'clock Eastern, when uh, the shooting uh, started inside the, the school there. Um, And all of that, uh, you can see the the chaotic scene there in the aftermath of of the shooting. Uh, We were told by witnesses that they saw uh, a a caravan of uh, law enforcement vehicles showing up there at the school, which included Border Patrol agents, uh, Texas uh, state troopers, as well as local officers. Remember, Uvalde is a a town that is not terribly far from the the U.S.-Mexico border, so uh, it wouldn't be strange for Border Patrol uh, vehicles to be in that that area. Uh, But, you know, Jake, at this point, to simply trying to process this horrifying news that there are 14 children at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas, whose lives were taken today by what appears to be a lone gunman. Uh, Law enforcement had said that uh, the uh, gunman had been taken into custody at one point just uh, a few hours ago. But as you reported, we are now hearing that that gunman uh, is also uh, dead as, as well. Uh, We are hoping to hear uh, from school district officials uh, there in Uvalde within the next hour or so. There had been some talk, but clearly because of the chaotic nature and having to update so many families about what the situation there and what is transpiring, uh, that is obviously takes precedent. Um, And then we were also told that uh, family reunification for that there were uh, many students who were taken to a nearby civic center in the aftermath of, of the shooting. Uh, that that is where families were going to be reunited. So all of that continues to un- unfold here there in, in the small town of Uvalde, Texas this afternoon, Jake. This would be the deadliest school shooting uh, in the United States since uh, 2012, since the Sandy Hook incident. Uh, we, we know the, the shooter is deceased, the, the murderer who killed uh, apparently a teacher and 14 elementary school children. Um, what do we know uh, about the shooter? And obviously there's nothing, no motive that could make any possible sense on this planet, but what possible motive he would have claimed at this point, if we know anything, Ed? 
Well, the governor of Texas said a short while ago that he that the shooter was uh, is from or was from Uvalde. Um, he he uh, gave it a name as well. I'd like to kind of hold off until we can figure out to, and, and get some more d- details on on all of that, so we can properly re- report that out. Um, I, I've been kind of juggling a, f- a few different things, so bear with me on on, the, on that front, Jake. But uh, the governor did say that the shooter is there from uh, was there from U- Uvalde uh, and. Clearly, you can imagine this is a small town. Uh, you know, twenty-four thousand people or so, I believe, live in this entire county of Uvalde. So it is uh, going to be one of these situations where uh, many people probably know the gunman, uh, have uh, family connections, um, in, in with with within either the, the 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 shooter or the victims themselves. You can imagine how this is going to transpire, uh, and the shockwaves that this is sending through uh, the, this this small community. But those are the, the details that we are continuing to work toward uh, toward getting at this point. Ed, uh, I'm seeing reports that the, the shooter was 18. Uh, did the governor identify the shooter's age? I believe, I believe you're correct. I'm trying to go back through uh, the, the notes that I have here, Jake. Um, I, I do believe that that was the, the age that, that I had seen and that he was from uh, Uval, Uvalde at, at this point. And, and um, I'm trying, uh, bear with me. Um, yeah, 18, 18 was the, the number that I had seen. Okay. Ed Lavendera, we'll come back to you. Thank you so much. I want to bring in CNN's Evan Perez. Um, The Uvalde Memorial Hospital says uh, that it uh, treated a total of 16 patients. 15 of the patients were children. One adult male was also treated for for minor injuries. If you're just tuning in, um, horrible, uh, tragic news from Uvalde, Texas, where the Robb Elementary School was a site of a mass shooting. Uh, earlier today uh, with an 18-year-old shooter who is apparently now deceased, uh, killing uh, 14 children uh, and a teacher, uh, at least. That's according to the governor of Texas, uh, Greg Abbott, saying that 15 have been killed in this incident, including 14 children. Evan, tell us more of what you're learning. Well, Jake, uh, this is one of those that, uh, you know, we were in a press conference with the attorney general on a completely different matter. Uh, He was walking into that press conference when he was briefed uh, by the FBI on what was happening there. And they were uh, at this point now, uh, the FBI, the the ATF, the Justice Department is trying to rush some resources over there uh, to help with what you expect is going to be a a very difficult investigation over the next couple of days. I mean, the things, obviously, they're going to want to know, you know, what what connection uh, this gunman, this alleged gunman had uh, with this school. Uh, they're going to want to know, uh, were there, uh, was there anybody else who may have known about this or perhaps was in any, had any connection with what happened there, uh, Jake? It's going to be a, a massive ca- crime scene, obviously, for the, for, the, uh, for the FBI. One of the things that they're going to want to do is, is get to the home of this uh, person. Hopefully, um, obviously, it's, it's somebody who lives in that county, lives in that town, And this is where the the focus of this investigation will turn for the FBI. At this point, Jake, there's very little we know about the the gunman. Uh, We don't know uh, necessarily what motivation there is, as you pointed out. Uh, There's very little you can do to explain something like this. But it is something that, uh, you know, you have to say that uh, after Buffalo, the FBI and and certainly Justice Department officials uh, said, you know, they were expecting another one. We see these things happen in twos and threes in this country. It keeps happening. And so that's where uh, as soon as this uh, happened, it it was briefed to the attorney general 
and, and trying to get those resources there to this town, which is some distance away from San, San Antonio. Um, and at this point, Jake, we don't know enough to be able to report um, about the gunman uh, who uh, was taken into custody at this point. All right, Evan Perez at the Justice Department for us. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, appreciate it. It was in 2019, August 2019, that a racist terrorist uh, killed uh, 23 individuals in El Paso, Texas, and wounded 23 others. Um, mass shootings are sadly common in this country. I want to bring in Congresswoman Veronica Escobar, a Democrat of Texas, uh, who spoke a lot during that period uh, and represents a neighboring district. Uh, Congresswoman, um, thank you so much for calling in. I appreciate it. What, what are you learning about this horrific event? Well, Jake, thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, you know, I'm, I'm learning everything that the public is learning at about the same time. And obviously, there are still lots of facts that are outstanding, still a lot that we don't know about the gunman, about his motivation, about um, how he got his gun, um, who else might have been involved. And I, I know that, that as that information becomes public, it will be very helpful. But right now, what the community of Uvalde needs is um, all of us sending our prayers um, and acknowledging the deep trauma and pain that that community is going through right now and the deep trauma and pain that they are going to suffer from, uh, not just in the weeks to come, but frankly, in the years to come. Um, but it's a horrible situation. And it's, you know, unfortunately now an American um, problem that it seems many lawmakers refuse to solve. Um, and the problem is that firearm homicides have increased 40% for people between the ages of 10 and 24 years old in America. That Those are the stats for 2020. It's unacceptable, and I can't believe lawmakers refuse to act. So for people who don't know much about Uvalde, uh, it is um, a town of about 15,000 uh, in uh, the southwestern tip, uh, southwestern uh, part of, of the state of Texas. Uh, according to census figures, uh, it's more than three-quarters uh, Latino, uh, Uvalde. We do not know of a motive. We do not know uh, what happened. Um, but uh, obviously, these are children, whatever color they are, it doesn't matter. Um, but there is obviously the possibility uh, that this violence is not unrelated to what we saw in 2019, uh, with the El Paso shooting, Congresswoman. And and you're right, Jake. We we don't know, and and so you know, I'm I'm going to withhold um, really any any comment. I hope it was not race related. I I really do pray that it was not, um, because I will tell you that adds an additional layer of of significant trauma for children who you know who feel targeted. I know I've. I've spoken with many, many young people in El Paso, not just right after the, the shooting here, but in the years uh, since then. And um, it is, it, it, I just don't wish that on any community. I, I reached out to the congressman, um, my neighboring congressman, my colleague, Tony Gonzalez. Um, unfortunately, those of us who are members of Congress who ha have lived through mass shootings, um, you know, we, we, we know what's next and we know the best way to help and to ensure that, 
that that people are given the opportunity to grieve and heal and so I, I told him I'm here for him if he needs me. My office is here for him. Um, and there's unfortunately a group of members of Congress who will be there for him because we've lived through what he is living through, he and his community. Absolutely. The worst kind of experience, a kind of experience that no parent wants to have, no member of Congress wants to have. Congresswoman Veronica Escobar, Democrat of Texas, thank you so much. Um, please uh, continue to call us back if you get more information. I want to bring in Andrew McCabe right now. He's a former FBI deputy director and Anthony Barksdale, the former acting Baltimore police commissioner. Uh, Andrew, let me start with you. 14 children killed, one teacher killed in this horrific shooting in Uvalde, um, the Robb Elementary School. W- what is your reaction to what we're learning so far? You know, Jake, I think... Um Every time something like this happens, which is just unbelievably frequently in this country, we, we, we do these stories again and again, and we think, or I think, I can't believe we're doing this again. And yet, a, days later, a week later, it happens again. I mean, this this uh, community is now going to be torn apart in the way so many others have in this country, even just their neighbors, right? So you you go a few hours uh, west of them and you have El Paso in 2019, 23 people are killed. If you go a few hours east of them, you have Sutherland Springs where in 2017, 26 people were killed in a church shooting there. So, you know, having been uh, in the FBI and overseeing that work in 2017, I can tell you that the work in front of these first responders, both the local police, state police, FBI, ATF, everybody who ends up working this crime scene is going to have a gruesome, uh, hellish um, set of circumstances on their hands. And it's one that people never fully recover from. Uh, but yet we do this again and again and again in this country. We are caught in this loop of violence that seems to be uh, never ending right now. And Anthony Barksdale, um, we're, we're still waiting to learn more details about how this happened, the motive of the shooter. We obviously have no idea what the motive of the shooter is. We know that the school district tweeted that there was a, quote, active shooter around 12.15 p.m. Texas time. Police say that the individual uh, was arrested just after 1 o'clock, almost an hour later. We're now told uh, that the suspect is de- deceased. What do, you, what do you make of the timeline? I... I, it's just uh, how fast these incidents can unfold. Um, you know, it, it takes seconds, seconds to have multiple victims. And in this case, little kids uh, shot and killed in seconds with these weapons that are available. And uh, the timeline is... Uh, it, it is what it is. It, if, if the police, if law enforcement was able to find the suspect, even after, uh, after suicide, then they were doing the best that they could. And to just piggyback on what Andy just said, this stuff, it's going to stick with everyone involved. Everyone is going to remember this horrible day and think about the little kids. So, I believe that law enforcement is going to do what they've had to do over and over again in this country. And hopefully um, we can figure this out as a nation. Andrew McCabe, the, the governor uh, of Texas, says that the shooter's now deceased. Um, take us through the investigation right now. I assume that they're trying to figure out what connected this mass murderer, this terrorist, to the school 
uh, what possible motive he may have had. Did he have any connection to the school, et cetera? What, what are detectives doing right now? Sure. So, I mean, first, you cannot investigate your way out of this tragedy. It is uh, as horrific as it seems. But there are there's a big job on hand for all the investigators to understand what led to this. Um, what was the shooter's motivation? What was his connection to the school? I say his, and I'm assuming it's a, a male that we're talking about. Um, you know, they'll go back first and look and speak to friends, relatives, family members, people who knew him in whatever school he's attended. They'll go back and look very closely at any sort of social media presence that the shooter maintained, whether he posted any statements about his intents, about his purpose and his motivation. And even if not about those things specifically, they'll try to come up with some sort of a character sketch, if you will, as to what was in this uh, this person's mind in the days and weeks leading up to this. They'll look at his browsing history. They'll look at all of his contacts on email, on text, on social media, on his telephone, if in fact he had one, which he probably does. Um, so it's, it is a massive effort to try to paint as rich a picture as you possibly can of this uh, likely deeply disturbed person who committed a a horrific act. It's important for us as a society to understand more and more about what leads people to these horrible acts because we have them so frequently or forced into a position of trying to understand better where these things might happen because we know they're going to happen again. If you're just tuning in here at the top of the hour, um, it's a rough story to report. Um, But there has been another mass shooting in the United States, this one in Uvalde, Texas, which is west of San Antonio in the southern part of Texas. An elementary school was targeted. The governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, has said that 14 elementary school children have been killed in addition to a teacher. So that's at least 15 dead as of now. It's also possible since the gunman was using uh, a firearm that there are others who are wounded Uh, who uh, are fighting for their lives right now. We're told the shooter uh, is 18 years old. Uh, I want to go back, and and we're also told the shooter um, is deceased. Um, Let me go back to Ed Lavendera right now, who's reporting on all of this for us uh, from Texas. Um, Tell us more, Ed, about what you're learning. Well, as we've mentioned, the uh, the gunman is believed to be an 18-year-old man from Uvalde. And uh, the governor also adding uh, some details kind of in the moments that led up to the shooting. And according to the governor, uh, that the suspect, the 18-year-old suspect, abandoned his vehicle just outside of Robb Elementary, then went in with a handgun and may have also had a rifle uh, and, and began shooting. So uh, it sounds like there might have been multiple weapons uh, used in this attack on the children there in that in that school. Uh, that is obviously something that uh, investigators will be looking for and, and examining uh, closely. But uh, the, these initial details suggest that the, the shooter here this afternoon drove up to the school and then entered with a, a handgun and possibly a rifle, Jake. A handgun and a rifle. Uh, Ed Lavendera, thank you so much. Uh, continue to keep us abreast as you learn more, uh, let's uh, continue discussing this horrible, horrible incident with our panel. Uh, Andrew McCabe and Anthony Barksdale are with us, former def- FBI Deputy Director, former Police Commissioner of Baltimore. I'm also joined by former Department of Homeland Security official Juliet Kayyem. Uh And Juliet, right now we've been discussing um, what cruel and insane motive might have led uh, this 18-year-old 
to commit this act of violence. Uh, this is um, not the, uh, this, this is uh, the worst school shooting that this country has yeah. seen, I believe, since Sandy Hook uh, in 2012. But since then, there have been other shootings uh, just as, uh, as deadly. Um, what goes through your mind uh, as, a, as a national security official um, w- when you hear about these shootings? Uh, so, I mean, elementary schools, I, I know about Parkland, we, we tend to think of them as differently, as sort of more open for obvious reasons. They're harder to secure. There tends not to be uh, school security on. So this was a, just a, essentially the ultimate soft target, which is which was these children and the numbers that were, you think you're over it and then you're not. The numbers that we're hearing now is changing a lot of people's lives today. And, and we'll wait for uh, more details on the culprit. Obviously, families are getting unified. Are, are unified. Uh, I'm noting that the school district is still trying to get kids uh, with their parents. They've stopped transportation services as they should. They just simply don't know what's going on. From an fa- investigation standpoint, I'm going to do what the facts uh, tell me now. So I've got demographics, first of all, an 80% Hispanic school district. So the most important thing for the federal government to do right now is to say there will be no immigration enforcement during this period in that er- area. It, is, it has a large immigration population. You want parents with their kids. You don't want people hiding right now. And we need to make that clear ASAP because of the political issues in Texas. Uh, secondly, it's not too far after Buffalo, a young uh, uh, killer. Uh, and so you're going to want to just know what, what the, you want to know whether you're in a copycat scenario and what that may be telling you whether he's, he's the, the killer is dead. So we'll be able to investigate his, his signatures, whether he, he knew someone, uh, at the elementary school or whether this was something motivated bigger. And I, and I said, this is where the, you know, this is just where the investigation is going uh, to go at this stage. And then third is obviously, weapons and guns and how quickly he was able to kill children who were just ultimately so vulnerable. There's, there's just no, this is the thing is like, you're going to, you know, there's just no defense at this stage. No, no capability of, of anyone defending themselves at this stage when you can kill this quickly. Uh, And uh, uh, so that even if you say, well, we we need to arm or have more armed people at school district, you know, these are happening so fast that even the most sophisticated response system is not going to save children. So one thing to look at is what was the speed uh, by which he was able to kill? How did he get access to this gun? Why the debate again? It's not too soon. Why weapons that kill this quickly? Why are they out there? Uh, And uh, and that's sort of where it is right now. So I'm looking at demographics. um, I'm looking at copycat and I'm looking at weapons right now. And, you know, and that's what investigators who are trying to take the emotion out of what today means for uh, families, but for our country and for every parent, uh, they're trying to take that out of the calculation right now. And let me uh, let me correct something I said uh, earlier. Uh, I misspoke. I said that this is the deadliest school shooting since 2012, since Sandy Hook. That is incorrect. Uh, the Marjorie to- uh, Stoneman Douglas High School in, in Parkland, Florida, uh, in 2018, 17 were killed, three teachers and 14 students. My apologies. Uh, the numbers are all run in your head because there are so many mass shootings in the United States. It's sometimes difficult to keep them all straight off the cuff. Uh, Andrew McCabe, uh, we should note uh, there is no other country in the world that has mass shootings like this at this rate, at this number, uh, and continually 
schools are targeted. And I cannot help but think, as I've said before, the adults of this country are failing the children of this country, failing to keep them safe. Well, that's that's undeniable, Jake. I mean, you know, as far as comparing the rates of uh, firearm violence in this country, like there's no other country even close to us. We are ahead of places like Yemen, you know, places that are countries that are racked by civil war. So um, that it's it's inexplicable on any other terms. And if history is any guide, um, the slaughter of 14 innocent children in their school two days before the end of the school year for them in Uvalde, uh, we will do nothing about it. We continue to fail um, the people of this country by not addressing this in a legitimate way to do something about how come 18-year-olds or young people or middle-aged people or however, however old they are keep showing up in places like schools or grocery stores or synagogues or churches or fill in the blank and slaughtering, you know, large groups of innocent people. Um, it just doesn't happen anyplace else on earth. And yet we seem to do nothing about it. And there have been modest provisions put forward. Uh, New York, for example, Com- Commissioner Barksdale has a red flag law uh, that would allow teachers or family members or roommates to petition a judge uh, if somebody is exhibiting dangerous behavior and should not be able to purchase a firearm. And in fact, with the Buffalo shooter, um, police were called to interview uh, the shooter, the murderer, uh, who, uh, because he had, he had written something in a school essay about murder-suicide. And he was able to talk his way out of it, and nobody at the school, and nobody in his family, and nobody else in his peer group uh, reached out to a judge, and he was able to purchase an AR-15-style semi-automatic weapon and kill 10 innocent people uh, in Buffalo. Uh, So there are minor attempts to fix this problem, uh, but even those are not utilized when they could be, Commissioner Barksdale. Absolutely, Um, and it's a... It has to be addressed. Um, we, we absolutely saw the Buffalo shooter circumvent uh, red flag laws. Um, we didn't have those who knew him or, com- or had conversations with him come forward. Um, so there's work to be done. I do not feel that law enforcement uh, is at this in, in some cases doing enough when an individual self-identifies they can't fall through the cracks. If they need to set up various, various systems where uh, if, if someone does need mental health or has mental health issues, that that becomes part of a background check or there's some communication that stops that individual from purchasing a weapon. Um, so, you know, and it's a thing that it, it, unlike some may think it can be done. We, we just have to really... Uh, get to work and, and, and sort this out because this pace is here and it's not going away. Julia Kayyem, uh, former Department of Homeland Security official, there's a, some sound from Texas Governor Abbott bringing the public the horrific news. And if you're just tuning in here at the uh, quarter of the hour, uh, there has been yet another mass shooting in the United States, this one targeting 
an elementary school, the deadliest school shooting since the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School uh, was targeted in 2018. There were 17 killed in that incident. Uh, This is, as of now, we know of 15 dead, one teacher, and 14 elementary school children. Uh, I want to play the sound from Governor Abbott. Yeah. Uh, It's believed that he abandoned his vehicle and entered into uh, the Robb Elementary School in New Valley with, with a handgun, and he may have also had a rifle, but that is not yet confirmed according to my most recent report. Uh, he shot and killed horrifically, incomprehensibly, uh, 14 students uh, and killed a teacher. It's believed that responding officers killed him. It appears that two responding officers were struck by rounds but have no serious injuries. So again, uh, as is always the case when it comes to shooting incidents like this, not all of the information that we get off the bat is correct. Information has a way of evolving, especially in such a dangerous, high-profile and intense situation. Um, But uh, what we're hearing right now, Juliet Kayyem, is that it may be that the police uh, shot uh, and killed the shooter. Although, again, we do not know. We do not know. Right. It's original reports had in custody and then now that it's shot. So there was at least according to the governor, there was some sort of firefight. So you you were able to get at least two police officers there in time, whether they that where where he was in the killings. We we don't know at this stage. And so what they're looking at was this one one classroom. Uh, in particular with one teacher, uh, and and what would that mean in terms of the investigation? What was a particular classroom chosen, or why this school uh, uh, specifically? Were there ties to the school? Was this school targeted for other reasons? This is where the investigation is going to go. So if earlier... Uh, um, so, so we, so th- where does the investigation go in terms of him, in terms of the killer? Uh, well, they know who he is. Uh, they know where he lives. Uh, they know they're going to be able to get onto all of his um, uh, social media, uh, uh, electronics, uh, phone calls, uh, who he was speaking to, who he may have been hinting to, uh, and then of course there's his family and or friends. If there's any friends, uh, what did his family suspect? Is there a mental illness in the past? All of this will. You know, I just say to you, Jake, like this will start to look familiar, right? I mean, this is like the crazy thing. It's like I could, you know, just I'll tell you. I mean, I've said this a hundred times before to you. Like, I mean, this is how the investigation is going to unfold, and there'll be something unique about him, and maybe some explanation, and probably my guess is someone may have known. Uh, but in the end, we are, as everyone has been saying, the only country that deals with this on a pretty regular basis. We are almost 10 years uh, from Sandy Hook. And while uh, high schools, I'm not minimizing high schools, there is something, uh, you, you know, something, uh, you know, sort of beyond explanation, right? I mean, not that any of them are explainable, but just these kids, they're not drilling. They can't be protected. They can't run. These are young children. And uh, and here we are almost a decade later from the last massive school shooting at, a, at an elementary school as compared to the high schools that we're getting used to. So this investigation is really going to go to motive at this stage. And, and then, of course, what's happening to the families. I want to say one more time, uh, though, and it's important. Again, I don't know motives. We don't know motives. Um, I am just telling you demographics. It is a predominantly Hispanic 
population uh, with a large immigration immigrant community uh, near, near relatively near San Antonio. We need the federal government to say right now everyone is essentially safe harbor right now in terms of immigration status. We need people to come forward, not to be fearful of immigration status, get their kids, get their family members. Uh, because what happens in, in incidents like this is when we're going to have a strong police presence, a strong federal presence. We know this. A lot of people do not react, especially if, if their status is unknown, do not react to police presence as you or, or you or I may. And we want to make sure that they know, despite all the politics that are going on in Texas right now, it's the federal government that's in charge of immigration enforcement and people are safe. Get your kids, get your families together. Do not hide. And I, I mean, the White House just needs to say that right now. It, this should not be delayed. We have a police press conference that we're going to uh, listen into uh, about this horrific uh, elementary school shooting. Let's take a listen. Thanks. School in Uvalde, Texas. School uh, has children that are in second, third, and fourth grade. Uh, I can confirm right now that we have several injuries, uh, adults and students, and we do have some deaths. Uh, the suspect is deceased at this point. Uh, DPS is assisting with the investigation. Um, and at this point, the investigation is leading uh, to tell us that the, the suspect uh, did act alone uh, during this hyenas crime. Uh, families are being notified and we are providing services to them uh, as the district uh, should. Uh, as far as the rest of the district is concerned, safety measures were taken to make sure that we had a safe release for the rest of the district uh, for the, for, throughout our city of Uvalde. And we uh, had numerous uh, law enforcement officers and agencies that assisted with the safety release for those students. Uh, we do want to keep all our families in their prayers. I hope you do as well. And we also want to respect the privacy of the family. Everything uh, is still being worked on. And again, we'll notify the parents and the families as soon as we have some news for them. Thank you so much. All right. So that was uh, law enforcement giving uh, updates, and it does appear uh, as though from what we just heard, uh, that there are families that have not yet, at least possibly not yet, been notified uh, that their children, child, has been killed in this horrific act of violence. Uh, Andrew McCabe, um, this is uh, a moment that we're going to hear a lot of politicians talk about thoughts and prayers. It's become, sadly, something of a cliche at this point because... There are a lot of people in this country who think that there should be much more done to keep firearms out of the hands of individuals who would use them like this. Uh, and uh, that will be something that will be discussed in the days and weeks ahead. Um, right now, there are 14 families of children and the family of a teacher uh, mourning and a community that has been shocked and traumatized. No doubt, Jake. This is, um, you know, there, there are everyone connected with this will be affected by it. No, no one more so than the families themselves. Obviously, it's, it's unspeakable and you can't even imagine what those folks have gone through or for those who maybe haven't even been notified yet. I mean, of course, you know, people are at work while their children are at school. There are people are at work assuming that their children are safe uh, in school. And some of those folks might find out that that was not the case. 
Um, I think, you know, we are way, way past the time for thoughts and prayers. It's a nice sentiment, but that's not what anyone needs. We need to know that when we send our children to school that they're not going to get shot. And actually, at this point, we no one really anywhere in this country can be sure of that. Um, I think there there is, you know, s- study after study shows overwhelming support in this country by people on all sides of the political divide for better common sense, more effective um, laws around gun control and the, the possession and purchase of firearms. Um, but we are unable to get laws like that passed in this country because of the incredible effectiveness of the special interest groups uh, and their influence on um, on members of Congress and, and our representatives on the Hill. So that's where democracy essentially has failed. If the population wants one thing and can't get it done because a small group of industry uh, and special interest groups um, don't want that to happen, they've, they've, they've succeeded in their effort to thwart the will of the public in this respect, which is uh, catastrophic, clearly. Let's go to uh, Phil Manningly at the White House. And Phil, uh, President Biden uh, on his way back from Asia. This is the kind of news that no president wants to hear. Uh, it was news uh, that greatly affected President Obama in 2012, the Sandy Hook shooting. It was news that I'm sure greatly affected uh, President Trump uh, during the Parkland shooting. Um, what, do you, what can you tell us about President Biden and this shooting in, in, at the Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. And Jake, it's news that President Biden has said multiple times he's had to address, deal with, and attempt to reconcile too many times over the course of his time as president. Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary, just tweeted that the president, who is, as you noted, aboard Air Force One on his way back from Japan, has been briefed on the horrific news of the elementary school shooting in Texas and will continue to be briefed regularly as information becomes available. His prayers are with the families impacted by this awful event, and he does plan to speak to reporters when he returns to the White House. We expect that in about three hours, Jake. And it's notable, you mentioned the president has spoken about this issue many times in his time in office. There's been so much gun violence that he's seen. His legislative efforts have fallen short in the United (coughs) States Senate. But he also noted President Obama uh, during the shooting back in Sandy Hook. Keep in mind, President, then Vice President Biden was his point person on attempting to enact gun restrictions, a effort that failed, a failure and an event that President Biden has referred to as one of the saddest days that they had in their eight years in office is very much having echoes of that moment in terms of children being killed in an elementary school. Again, the president has been briefed, and Jake, when he returns to the White House, he's expected uh, to speak to reporters about what has occurred and what he's learned uh, in the hours leading up to that return, Jake. All right, Phil Manningly, thanks for the update. Governor Abbott, the governor of Texas, just released a statement. Let me bring that to you. It says, quote, Texans across the state are grieving for the victims of this senseless crime and for the community of Uvalde. Cecilia and I mourn this horrific loss, and we urge all Texans to come together to show our unwavering support to all who are suffering. We thank the courageous first responders who worked to finally secure Robb Elementary School. I have instructed the Texas Department of Public Safety and the Texas Rangers to work with local law enforcement to fully investigate this crime. The Texas Division of Emergency Management is charged with providing local officials all resources necessary to respond to this tragedy as the state of Texas works to ensure the community has what it needs to heal, unquote. We have more breaking news coverage of this horrific school shooting. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. 
We are following the breaking news out of Texas, and it is heartbreaking news. Fourteen students and one teacher are dead, killed, after a shooting at an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas, just west of San Antonio. That is according to Texas Governor Greg Abbott. According to Governor Abbott, the gunman is also dead. Abbott saying that the 18-year-old abandoned his vehicle and entered Robb Elementary School with a handgun. He may also have had a rifle of some sort. I want to bring in Charles Ramsey, CNN senior law enforcement analyst, former Philadelphia police commissioner and former chief of police here in Washington, D.C. Um, chief Ramsey, thanks for joining us. Um, first of all, I know you're a dad. What's your reaction, not as a law enforcement official, but as a dad, when you hear stories like this? Well, I'm a grandfather now. So, I mean, you know, you hear things like this. I got a granddaughter who is about to begin kindergarten. So, I mean, obviously, this is something that we should not even be talking about. I mean, this is absolutely crazy. And what's even crazier is the fact that nothing's going to be done about it. Absolutely nothing. You know, I listened to the governor of Texas as the same governor that was very proud to sign the legislation that he says is protecting the unborn. Well, what about the kids that are already here, Governor? What what are you going to do to protect them? What about the 14 we lost today? What about the 20 we lost to Sandy Hook? I mean, when is this going to end? Instead of all this chest pounding about, you know, they, they're passing this legislation, you know, to, to protect the unborn, and we do nothing to protect the ones that are already here. At some point in time, we have to all just say, that's enough. It's enough. It's got to end, and it's not going to end because our, our dysfunctional Congress can't get anything done. People have to rise up and say that's enough, throw these people out of office that refuse to do anything, and really take control and save our kids, because this is what's happening every single day on the streets of our cities, not mass shootings, one, two, three, four at a time. People are dropping as a result of gun violence, and so... You know, if I sound frustrated, it's only because I am. Yeah, I mean, and that, that's a cogent point because um, it is true that while we cover mass shootings just because of the, the scale of, of the horror, um, we lose, uh, you know, hundreds of individuals every, uh, every week uh, to gun violence, uh, mostly to uh, suicide, but not exclusively to suicide. Uh, about a third of the gun violence of every every week uh, is is homicide uh, or accidental uh, shootings. Um, what, as a law enforcement official, do you think should be done about this? What can be done to keep firearms out of the hands of individuals who would use them for harming individuals and not for hunting or self defense? Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, I'm not anti-Second Amendment, but I do believe there has to be some controls and some restrictions to at least minimize the opportunity for people that should not have guns to get to get a hold of guns. But then if people do use guns to commit crimes, we have to do something with them. It's not just the gun. It's the people who use guns to commit crime. And we've got a situation in our country now where we've got some prosecutors that don't even want to prosecute for illegal possession of a firearm. Uh, or for uh, uh, putting people on an ankle bracelet that are, uh, you know, in, in jail, uh, charged with murder or, or aggravated assault or something like that. I mean, we've got to look at the entire system and get serious about this because it's not going to stop on its own. It's not going to stop as a result of thoughts and prayers and candlelight vigils. If we don't take control of this and if we don't do something 
as a as a country, then we're going to be having this conversation over and over again. It's just a question of when and where. That's all. Just when and where. If you're just tuning in at the half hour here, 532, um, there has been another mass shooting in the United States, this one at an elementary school uh, in Texas, uh, in a town called Uvalde, uh, just west of San Antonio. The governor of Texas announcing um, roughly an hour or so ago that the shooter, uh, 18, is dead, and the shooter, before he was killed, and it appears that he was killed by law enforcement, killed 14 elementary school children and a teacher. Uh, Law enforcement right now trying to figure out what possible connection he had to the Robb Elementary School. Ed Lavendera is following this breaking and heartbreaking story for us uh, live in Texas. Ed, tell us more. Well, Jake, you know, this is supposed to be the last week of school for public school students across much of the state of Texas. So this coming in the last days of a school year, um, as if this wasn't already horrific enough, you know, adds another layer of uh, desperate sadness to what we are seeing unfold there in the city of Uvalde, Texas, a small town, as you mentioned, just west of San Antonio. Uh, We were told early on that there was... uh, uh, cavalry of law enforcement vehicles that had shown up there at the scene, including Border Patrol and uh, state troopers as well. The governor just a short while ago mentioning that 14 of the victims, of the 15 victims, were children. Also just a short while ago, uh, local officials there holding a brief uh, update on uh, the situation. They did not confirm uh, the the numbers that Governor Abbott has been uh, saying, only to say that there were a, a number of students and adults that were, that were injured and some deaths. Uh, they did not give specific numbers there locally. Uh, but they also did say that this Rob Elementary uh, is a school with uh, second, uh, third, and fourth graders inside the school. So that gives you some idea of the age range that we're looking at when we start uh, learning about the victims uh, that were killed senselessly today in Uvalde. Jake? All right, Ed Lavendera, thank you so much. Charles Ramsey is still with me. I want to bring back uh, Andrew McCabe, the former FBI deputy director, and Anthony Barksdale, former acting Baltimore police commissioner, as well as Juliet Cayenne. CNN national security analyst and a former assistant secretary at the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, Andrew, I've heard it said that after Sandy Hook, when the country decided that the slaughter of 20 uh, five- and six-year-olds wasn't enough to prompt any serious federal action, although we should note Connecticut did uh, pass some gun restrictions. But the larger point that after Sandy Hook, when the Congress failed to do anything to pass any new legislation to keep firearms out of the hands of dangerous individuals, that that, that, that was it. That was the signal. 20 slaughtered five-year-olds and six-year-olds uh, was uh, the United States saying, that's okay, we can deal with that. Sure. And I mean, that's a reasonable thing to say, right? Because clearly it wasn't. The slaughter of 20 uh, elementary school children in Connecticut in 2012 wasn't enough to get anything done, nor was it enough when it happened in, in Florida at Marjorie Stoneham Douglas, nor was it enough when it happened a few months ago in Michigan. And, you know, the question is, will it be enough after today's slaughter in Texas? Um, there, there's, there's really very little reason to hope that it will be. There are many, many things that we could do, any number of which may or may not have had any effect on this particular tragedy. But I would propose 
Jake, that much in the same way that this country came together and rallied around our responsibilities in the wake of the terrorist attacks on 9-11, you know, after those attacks, we didn't just do one thing that we thought might have stopped the 9-11 attack. We did everything that we could think of to make this country safer. And I would propose that that's the way this our country should think about this 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 uh, tragic wave of gun violence and, and innocent death. We should be doing everything that could possibly have an impact on stopping the next mass shooter. There are many ways that we could change our our gun control laws, we could change the way we do background checks in this country. We can make them more effective. Uh, we could we could um, have better controls over the sale of of guns, private sales, gun shows. You know all sorts of things that most people agree to, um, but for you know it is next to impossible. Maybe it is impossible to get our elected representatives to actually act. Uh, on any of that sentiment and desire uh, across the population. So some of the news information, some of the new information trickling in right now, the uh, police chief of the school district says that the belief is right now that this shooter, this 18-year-old who is now deceased, uh, the belief is that he acted alone. Um, Commissioner Barksdale, let me ask you, uh, Governor Abbott, the governor of Texas, now says uh, that it's being reported that the suspect shot his grandmother before he went to Rob Elementary and committed this horrific uh, slaughter. Um, what, what do you make of this as a law enforcement official? Well, numerous times before people set off on a spree, often there's a, a first victim. And uh, unfortunately, it, it sounds like this was his grandmother. And that's, you know, it's, it's just tragic all the way around. But Something uh, that that can be done at this point in time is to start really focusing on were there any signs that he was going to do this? And that's going to be part of the investigation. Um, Was he one who had uh, mental health issues or or certain communications on the Internet? So there's a lot of work to be done here, but it's, uh, it's going to have to be done methodically, and this is going to take a little time, but I, I, I don't know if I'm so quick to just shut down, hey, the person's alone. I, I, I don't know if we're, uh, I still feel it's a little immature at this point to make just clear statements about if an individual was alone or not. Um, so, uh, yeah, no, sure. A lot I, of work I, I, yeah, no, I mean, obviously all of the information coming in right now is, is, is early information. That was a the police superintendent, I believe, for the school district saying that that's the belief. Uh, but who knows uh, if that is the, the, the fact as of now. We certainly do not know. Juliet, the attorney general of Texas, uh, Ken Paxton, who we should note is on the ballot today. It is election day in Texas. Attorney General Paxton said moments ago, quote, people that are shooting people that are killing kids, they're not following murder laws. They're not going to follow gun laws. I'd much rather have law abiding citizens armed and trained so that they can respond when something like this happens, because it's not going to be the last time, unquote. The victims, of course, 14 elementary school children uh, and a teacher. Um, what is your response to Attorney General Paxton? So I, I, I want to take his statement seriously, because this is obviously the, the sort of winning political stance in term winning in the sense that we don't get changes to gun laws. Uh, and so I want to take his claim seriously. And, and, um, and the first is obviously uh, we aren't 
we aren't arming elementary school kids, obviously. We don't arm them, uh, and and they were defenseless. I, I, I can't describe enough um, how defenseless they were. I mean, once he decided it was this school, there's almost nothing you can do at that stage. I don't even care what kind of gun he has. There's 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 likely no uh, security presence there. We tend not to tend not, school districts are just prioritizing, and they tend to focus safety and security on high schools. Uh, maybe there's a locked door, maybe there's a locking system, but we don't know. Um, and so, you know, basically it's done. Once he decides to do it, it's done. The second is the issue of arming teachers, which is clearly going to be part of this political debate um, in the future. So arming teachers is, o- is only going to work if, uh, if there's, you know, the teacher him or herself is able to stop the perpetrator. And that's making a huge assumption. So instead of trying to play defense all the time, arming everyone in school, which is clearly going to lead to more deaths rather than fewer because of accidents or or things getting elevated, that's what most of the data shows, uh, you want to play a little offense uh, against these kind of attacks. And that in- involves things that uh, that Paxton is bringing up. He's, you know, that he wants us not to talk about guns because he wants to, uh, 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 talk about whatever's animating this person, but that's so defensive. I mean, think about it as a parent. Like, you're just, you know, it's like you're just, you're, you're just going to play defense all the time and like, like cross your fingers that the teacher's armed. I mean, it's just we we don't do that in any other situation. So just I want because I want to take that at face value. I'm already getting a lot of hostility about you know on on Twitter and social media. People are, are obviously animated. I'm just gonna just address it as he intended, as the attorney general intended it to be addressed. I just want to focus on one other thing. We are talking about the past and who this this perpetrator was. We're talking about the future and gun controls. It seems clear to me at this stage, there's a lot of family members who don't know what happened. Um, I think that the police uh, chief coming out after the governor uh, is unique. You normally want this to be led by police so that it's not politicized. Uh, And I noticed that the police chief was clear to say, you know, this is ongoing. I mean, there's like families who don't know what's going on right now. And if they're immigrants or if they're immigration status, I just want to say, you know, once again, the White House should make it abundantly clear there will be no immigration enforcement uh, related to this shooting for the foreseeable future. You need to get your kids. You need to come out um, and we need to settle this for them. Related to immigration status, of course, uh, absolutely. And we are told uh, that President Biden is going to address the nation this evening from the White House at 8.15 p.m. Eastern. Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut was just on the Senate floor. He was talking about uh, this horrific event. He was emotional. Um, Of course, the tragic school shooting at Sandy Hook that happened in 2012 happened in his home state of Connecticut. Let's play just some of what he said. There are 14 kids dead in an elementary school in Texas right now. What are we doing? What are we doing? Just days after a shooter walked into a grocery store to gun down African-American patrons, we have another Sandy Hook on our hands. What are we doing? There have been more mass shootings than days in the year. Our kids are living in fear every single time they set foot in a classroom because they think they're going to be next. What are we doing? Why do you spend all this time running for the United States Senate? Why do you go through all the hassle 
of getting this job, of putting yourself in a position of authority, if your answer is that as this slaughter increases, as our kids run for their lives, we do nothing. What are we doing? Why are you here? If not to solve a problem as existential as this. This isn't inevitable. These kids weren't unlucky. This only happens in this country and nowhere else. Nowhere else do little kids go to school thinking that they might be shot that day. Nowhere else do parents have to talk to their kids, as I have had to do, about why they got locked into a bathroom and told to be quiet for five minutes just in case a bad man entered that building. Nowhere else does that happen except here in the United States of America, and it is a choice. It is our choice to let it continue. What are we doing? It's a very valid and cogent question. What are we doing to make this country as safe as it can be, to make our children as safe as they can be? Uh, Commissioner Ramsey, what's your reaction to Senator Murphy? Well, the answer, I mean, what, what are we going to do? The answer is nothing, because that's what historically we've done is absolutely nothing. And as Andy McCabe said, there's no reason to believe this is going to change anything. Sandy Hook didn't move the needle. This is not going to move the needle. I mean, you've got people sitting in Congress right now and not just in Washington, but in state houses around the country. They care more about money and care about their pers- their individual power than they care about my granddaughter, your kids and any kid, any parent who happens to be watching this program right now. That's what they care about. And that's not going to change. We can make sensible changes in some of these laws. It's not going to stop everything. But to sit there and think that there's nothing we can do or uh, some politician, as you just mentioned, in uh, uh, Texas, for an example, saying, oh, we need to arm more people. I don't know if there's a state in this country that has more guns than Texas. They didn't do much to stop today, did they? You don't, you know, it's like seeing a fire saying, okay, the fire is raging. Let's throw more fuel on it because it's not burning hot enough. I mean, we've got to stop the nonsense and really come up with something sensible. We can protect the Second Amendment, but at the same time, do things to keep some of these assault weapons and uh, various and, and people that should not have guns in their hands. Uh, we can do things to make it very, very difficult. Do something about ghost guns. I mean, there's a host of things that we could be doing. But we're yeah. not doing anything. It's all like it's all or nothing. And we've got to get away from that and have real discussion followed by action. And because the, our elected officials gamble on one thing and they're absolutely right. The American people have short memories. We're all focused on this right now. A week from now, we'll be thinking and talking about something else. And they, they bank on that, that by the time November comes and you go to the polls, you'll forget all about this. Yeah. Well, we've heard a lot of we need to know that this is going on. We've heard a lot of people talking about uh, further restrictions on gun laws uh, on the show today, law enforcement officials. Um, I, I do also want to note um, Ryan Petty uh, is an individual um, whose daughter, Elena, was uh, one of 17 killed in Parkland in 2018. And he, he's Ryan's conservative. And he came up with a, a thing that you can visit. It's at the walkupfoundation.org or safeandsoundschools.org uh, where it talks, he talks about improving the school culture so that um, there is more 
uh, awareness of when kids are troubled and might turn to violence, that obviously would not have had an effect on this shooting today, given the fact that the shooter was 18 and he was shooting up an elementary school. Uh, But I do want to note that there are people out there who are trying to answer Senator Murphy's question, what are we doing? People who might not agree with further restriction on gun ownerships, but do want to do something, and that's safeandsoundschools.org, Ryan Petty, in the the, uh, memory of his daughter, Elena. Uh, Our breaking news coverage of the deadly school shooting in Texas is going to continue in just a moment. Stay with us. We continue following this breaking and heartbreaking news out of Uvalde, Texas, just to the west of San Antonio. Fifteen people, including 14 elementary school children and a teacher, were shot and killed at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde. President Biden is expected to address the nation tonight at 8.15 p.m. Eastern. Senior White House correspondent Phil Manningly joins me now from the White House. Phil, this is the second mass shooting in fewer than two weeks of, of this scale. Uh, what do we expect to hear from President Biden tonight? You know, Jake, I think that's what's most glaringly apparent. The president has been in a two-country trip to Asia, a very important foreign policy visit for the president, and that trip was bookended by two shootings, the shooting that left 10 dead in Buffalo, the shooting that we know has killed at least 14 children uh, and a teacher today in Texas. He left after having stopped in Buffalo to give a very powerful and emotional speech about the shooting Uh, that killed 10 there. He will be returning and almost immediately upon arriving in the White House, delivering remarks from the Roosevelt Room to the nation about the shooting that transpired down in Uvalde, Texas today. What will be most interesting will be how the president addresses things. I think it's what I I picked up, Jake, in terms of the decision to hold remarks, to make them at the Roosevelt Room, not just talk to cameras when he lands on Marine uh, One, from Marine One, is that this seems to be different than how this usually plays out. One Democratic congressional aide I was talking to earlier said it's formulaic at this point. There's a paper statement. The flags go to half mass. There are a few days of conversations about things that could be done legislatively, and then everybody seems to move on. The president, at least in the near term, appears to be trying to shift that a little bit by immediately having uh, an availability, delivering remarks uh, in a high-profile primetime stage, trying to draw attention to acknowledge what has transpired down in Texas. Now, Jake, the president has made no secret that he has pushed for uh, gun restrictions over his, the entirety of his time in office, all of which have fallen uh, short in the U.S. Senate. They have taken some executive action, Jake, but there will likely be another push for that uh, tonight. Whether that goes anywhere is an open question, and obviously the president still being briefed on developments aboard Air Force One. All right. Phil Manningly, thank you so much. Let's bring back uh, CNN's Evan Perez. Evan, uh, at the Justice Department for us, uh, what more are you learning? Well, Jake, one of the first uh, officers that was able to respond to this cry, uh, this this call for help from the school there in Uvalde was a custom and Customs and Border Protection agent. Uh, obviously, the, the location of Uvalde near the Mexican border means that uh, CBP is uh, one, certainly the largest federal law enforcement in the area. And this officer uh, got there in time, engaged with the shooter, and according uh, to, uh, to CBP, uh, <coughs> was injured, was shot in the head. Uh, it appears that this uh, officer is going to be okay. This uh, agent is going to be okay. Uh, perhaps he was wearing some kind of protection on the head. We don't know a, a lot of details. But we know from the governor, from Governor Abbott, that uh, at least a couple, at least two officers were injured in the response here. And this, uh, again, reporting from, uh, from uh, CBP, uh, our Priscilla Alvarez uh, got this reporting. Uh, this officer was one of the first who was able to respond to the scene. The shooter, shooter was clearly still there, still a threat. 
and managed to, to fire a shot that, that injured this CBP officer. Again, we don't know exact details of how the shooter was killed, but we know that officers were there and were responding uh, to the shooting as, as it was happening, uh, Jake. All right. A law enforcement officer uh, in uh, harm's way today. Um, I want to bring in Congressman Mike Quigley. He's a Democrat from Illinois, specifically from Chicago, which, of course, is a place where there is a lot of gun violence, uh, a mass shooting like this, except split up into ones and twos all the time. Congressman uh, Quigley, um, what's your reaction to the horrific news out of Texas? Um, I think you hit it on the head. You know, I think of my hometown of Chicago. Well, this is the 144th day of the year. Chicago, Chicago has experienced 207 gun violence deaths already. The country, 212 mass shootings. So listening to your conversation uh, over the last hour or so about what will get done, you know, the thing that struck me most in, in time and watching this were a few events uh, in the aftermath of Sandy Hook, watching the president of the United States, President Obama and his wife crying about this and, and nothing happened. But to get sort of the temperature of some of the fabric of our country, you recall the 2016 mass shooting in Orlando in the nightclub, 49 people were killed. I went to a gun show the following weekend in Crown Point, Indiana, just to understand the attitudes a little better and to see if some of that was tapped down given that massacre. As I walked in, they were offering me a raffle ticket for a, an assault weapon, right? <laughs> you, you can't even mourn this. You can't even imagine uh, the pain that had gone on. And what you were doing in almost a mocking way was raffling off an assault weapon. So, you know, and I think of the landmark case that uh, struck down Chicago's gun control laws. The Supreme Court said there was a Second Amendment right. But they also said, like all rights, it was not unlimited. It specifically said uh, that not everyone should be able to get a gun. They shouldn't be able to have it anywhere they want. And they shouldn't be able to get any kind of gun they want recognizing that with certain weapons designed for a theater of war, you're really not protecting your home. Yeah. You're not hunting deer, you're hunting people. So yeah, in a couple of weeks, we'll go back and the house floor will have a moment of silence and we'll talk about thoughts and prayers. And the Democrat controlled house has passed gun control legislation, but it'll get nowhere in the Senate and nowhere with my colleagues across the aisle and uh, you and I will be talking about this again sometime in the next week, two weeks, months, or years to come, and another sad passage of violence in our country. A depressing but realistic prediction of the future from Congressman Mike Quigley uh, of Illinois. Uh, thank you so much for your time, and thanks for your patience you. as well, sir, as we've been working through this breaking news coverage. Our, our breaking news coverage is going to continue now. With Wolf Blitzer in the Situation Room, uh, I will see you in a few minutes um, to talk about the elections this evening. Thanks for watching. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.